0: This story contains strong language and graphic and potentially disturbing content. Discretion is advised. Certain voices in this podcast have been altered to protect privacy. Welcome to Season 3 of What Really Happened. Executive produced by 7 Bucks Productions, Dwayne Johnson, Danny Garcia, and Brian Gewertz, in association with Cadence 13. It's written and hosted by me, Andrew Jenks, and you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Andrew Jenks. Good daddy, when your honey a bunny? All right, ride the magic carpet. Here we go. You're just in time. For front right in the fun house. And the bathing, ocean bathing, go oh bathing, by a bathing. It's Coney Island, the 1960s. Kids are outside having fun, playing handball, running around on the boardwalk, buying pizza slices for 15 cents. The Beach Boys, The Beatles, and Rolling Stones are blasting on the radio. But one kid sits alone. This kid, who goes by the nickname Bear, is busy inside playing the piano, which he learned at five years old, and reorganizing his stamp collection. He's nice, although apparently somewhat forgettable. A former female classmate, one of the few who remembered Bear, would later tell a reporter, there's nothing but nice things my girlfriends and I can say about him. At 16 years old, Baer graduates high school after skipping two grades. Next, he breezes through advanced mathematics at the prestigious Cooper Union University, where he got a scholarship. Baer also attends the Courant Institute of Mathematical Sciences at New York University, one of the top mathematics schools in the world. But he doesn't bother graduating. As Bear, otherwise known as Jeffrey Epstein, became an adult, he started making a lot of money. Although it's a bit of a mystery as to how much money he made, he reportedly was worth hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe more. Epstein had a 78-acre private island, which has been called Pedophile Island, and Orgy Island. He also had a ranch in New Mexico, a mansion in Florida, an apartment in Paris, and reportedly, the largest home in New York City. To get around, he had five airplanes. There was also his 34-foot boat and 35-foot powerboat, his two Escalades, six Suburbans, two Ford F-150s, two Harley Davidsons, a Land Rover, and a Hummer H2. He had power. He knew people in high places. When former President Bill Clinton needed a ride to Africa, Epstein provided it. When President Trump wanted to throw a party with just one other man and dozens of women, Epstein was the one he called. Epstein attained a form of notoriety. But other than a few feature magazine articles, including profiles like Vanity Fair's The Talented Mr. Epstein and New York Magazine's Jeffrey Epstein, International Money Man of Mystery, Epstein avoided the press. But that all changed in November of 2018. When the Miami Herald's Julie Brown wrote a series of articles shining a light on Epstein's crimes. Suddenly, everything changed. And fast. The reporter who broke this story wide open and put Epstein back into the spotlight, Miami Herald's Julie K. Brown. Billionaire financier Jeffrey Epstein has been arrested. He was taken into custody overnight at a New Jersey airport. Jeffrey Epstein is not going back to his $77 million mansion, at least for now. Citing his great wealth and vast resources, a federal judge ruled Epstein must stay in jail before trial. Only nine months after the Miami Herald's report, Epstein was dead. As information on Epstein continues to come out, I want to put on the brakes, take a step back even. I wonder who first began officially investigating Epstein. Folks, the, wax, the only one of its ice mind. cream, cold drinks. Rain ride here.
1: Everybody can ride it's the longest ride in Coney Island, Twice
0: around. I was surprised to learn that an integral person to Epstein's demise would be someone who was born only a couple of miles from where Epstein grew up. Near the 15 cent pizza slices, the handball and the boardwalk was a boy from Queens who moved at a young age to Palm Beach. Unlike others who knew about Epstein and did nothing about it, this individual was determined to get the over 100 girls and young women the justice they deserved. That was his goal. And he died trying if he had to. March fifteenth, two 2005. George W. Bush is in his second term as president. A TV show called The Office premieres on NBC and a thing called YouTube goes online. In Palm Beach, Florida, a 14-year-old girl and her parents inform a police officer, Michelle Pagan, that a man named Jeffrey molested her. Within a week, detectives are looking into it. The investigation into Jeffrey Epstein begins. Summer 2005. Detective Joseph Ricari knows he is being tailed. Lately, he's had to take different routes home. Soon after the department began their investigation, Epstein, a resident of Palm Beach, got word and launched a full-on intimidation campaign against Detective Riccari and the local Palm Beach police force. But Riccari won't let this stop him from what will become the most important investigation of his career. Detective Joseph Ricari is 38 years old, about six feet tall, 200 pounds. He has four kids. Ricari has been an officer with the Palm Beach Police Department for his entire life. I've been here longer than my children have been alive, he once said. Um, very dedicated to his craft, uh, extremely hard worker. Kirk Bluen was an officer who worked with Detective Ricari. Uh, conscientious about the getting to the truth. Um, no real ego involved, uh, prideful of his work, uh, has the distinction in, uh, being one of the top performers, if, if not the top performer, uh, top performing detective in the department. He was held in high regard as relates to his coworkers and the, the law enforcement community here in South Florida, the go-to person on, um more complex or sensitive cases. Just a man of a lot of integrity. Detective Rickeri knows Epstein has hired private investigators to not just follow Rickeri, but to go through his trash and find any dirt they can on him. But a pedophile, if not a rapist, isn't a person the Queens native is going to let get away. Not in his jurisdiction. So go through Detective Joe Rickeri's trash, follow him around town, Intimidate him, Joe Riccari will be relentless. September 11th, 2005. Six months after receiving that first phone call, the police pull over a young woman. She begins talking about Epstein. Among other reasons, her name is changed to protect her from retribution by Epstein and his co-conspirators. So she goes by Allison. Allison says she had been going to Epstein's house since she was 16 years old. Detective Rickeri brings her in for questioning. A transcript of the conversation between Rickeri and Allison is a bit long, but important. It reads as follows. I'll, I'll start from the like, how you met him, and then I'll, I'll take you through.
1: Okay. Um, well, we, uh, me and a friend worked at Hollister together in the Wellington Green Mall and I was mentioning to her how I wanted extra money to go to Maine and I wanted to go camping for the summer and I I couldn't afford a plane ticket and she goes, oh, well, you can get a plane ticket in two hours and I said, what are you talking about? Like what are you, didn't, that didn't make sense to me, a plane ticket in two hours. So, what are you talking about? And she goes, oh, we can give this guy a massage and um, he'll pay $200 for like 45 minutes or an hour. And that's all she told me. No details, no nothing.
0: Detective Rickeri is realizing this is typical Epstein. Epstein finds girls who are economically poor, or at least in need of money. Rekeri then asks who Allison was introduced to. Who were you introduced to?
1: One of his girlfriends. Like, one of his, like, slaves that he has lived with him. And when I say slaves, like, one of the girls that he bought to, like, have sex with him. Um, I was introduced to one of them, probably like, uh, Sarah? I was introduced to Sarah. Um, that's his assistant, I think. I think they have sex, but I don't know. Um, I was introduced to his assistant, Sarah, and she's the one that told me that he would be ready in a second, and from there I met various other girls. I don't really... I didn't pay attention to who they were, though, so, uh, we were waiting on the couch in the bathroom, and um, Jeffrey comes up, and he's like, hey, I'm Jeff- I'm J- Jeffrey, and he just introduced himself, and he just hands, um, I remember this because I was pissed off that she got paid to bring me, like I was pissed off, and he hands her a wad of $100 bills and says, thank you, and she says, I'll wait for you downstairs, and I was like, all right, I'll see you in a little while, and that's how I was brought to Jeffrey.
0: Detective Rickeri is also realizing Epstein has other people, in this case, Sarah, who are hired to bring in other girls. He asks Allison how many times she went to Epstein's home. How many times were you to say you went?
1: Hundreds. Hundreds. I was... He used to tell me I was his favorite. He bought me a car. He bought me. No, No, I had a brand new Dodge Neon. And I got a a plane. uh, I got a plane ticket to New York. And I got spending money whenever I wanted. Like, I I was in there deep.
0: During this time, Allison believes she was 16 or 17 years old. As the conversation continues, she is increasingly worried about talking too much.
1: Because Jeffrey's going to get me. You guys realize that, right? He's gonna find he's gonna figure this out. And he's gonna I'm not safe now. You understand that, right? I'm not safe. He is not this person
0: that he's portraying himself to be. Because well, well, he, he said he's to hurt people. Before. Yeah, well
1: yeah, I've heard him make threats to people on the telephone, yeah, of course.
0: The conversation then turns to violence.
1: But he would pull it to where it would rip my hair out. It would rip my hair, and then sometimes he would pick me up and, like, throw me whichever way he wanted me. And then he would just, like, use a toy or, like, his hand or whatever.
0: She adds,
1: I mean, there's been nights where I've, that I've walked out of there barely able to walk, and um, from him being so rough.
0: She recounts one specific time that, to Detective ricari sounds like rape.
1: And I was standing up, and he just pushed me over the table, and he did his thing with me. Were you facing the table? I was. I was face down on the table, like, face down, hands, like, on my head, holding. I don't, I don't mean, I, I wasn't fighting, really, so I don't know if he was holding me down to kind of stop me from fighting or what he was doing. He's just a really weird guy. I... He's just into really weird stuff. Like, I was just bent over and my face was on the table and I was face down on the table and he did... Then he did his thing.
0: Allison continues.
1: He was only in me for like a minute or two. And I... I don't even know if he could say that long. He put it in, did a couple of pumps or whatever the fuck you want to call it. And I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> so like go, what are you doing? And he's like oh, I just wanted to see this, then that was that.
0: September 2005. The same month Detective Rickeri interviews Allison, Jeffrey Epstein calls Detective Rickeri's boss, police chief Michael Ryder. In 1981, at only 22 years old, Chief Ryder began working with the Palm Beach Police Department. He never left. He loves this county. The Palm Beach Daily News once coined him the unofficial town historian. And now you have to imagine, there is evidence he and his team are putting together that indicates a child predator is on the loose. So why is Epstein calling Chief Ryder? Like many residents, Epstein had donated to the police force. So Epstein tells the chief that if the department needs more money, Epstein will gladly donate. To Chief Ryder, this call really only means one thing. Epstein knows there is an investigation. And if he can pay off the police, he is happy to do so. But the police keep at it, especially Detective Rickeri. Rickeri knows he has to put together a perfect case to get what Epstein deserves. Any mistakes made during the investigation and there will be problems. And there needs to be as few leaks as possible. Epstein seems to have eyes and ears everywhere," said Officer Kirk Bluen. Essentially, it was it was all Detective Riccarey. There are many cases where you work in conjunction with other detectives, um, where you're a co-lead, and um, but in this particular case, uh, the entire case was uh, put together by Detective Joe Riccarey with very little assistance from the other detectives. October third. 2005. Less than a month after Jeffrey Epstein called police chief Michael Ryder, a girl who'd go by Wendy Dobbs talks to detective Rickeri. She had massaged Epstein, but wouldn't go any further in a probable cause affidavit. Rickeri writes after the massage Epstein stated to Dobbs. That's Wendy Dobbs that he understood she was not comfortable, but he would pay her if she brought over some girls. He told her the younger the better. Dobbs stated she once tried to bring a 23-year-old female, and Epstein stated that the female was too old. Dobbs stated that in total, she only remembers six girls that she brought to see Epstein. Each time she was paid $200. Dobbs said at the time she brought these girls to Epstein's house, they were all 14 through 16 years of age. This is how Epstein worked. If you are too old, then it's your job to find girls. October 20th, 2005. The police have been investigating for just over six months. They get a warrant to search Epstein's house. I've been reporting about Jeffrey on and off since 2005, pretty much from the time it broke down here in Palm Beach where I live. This is Tim Malloy. Tim is an award-winning journalist who has reported from Afghanistan and Iraq. Tim co-wrote the book Filthy Rich with James Patterson and John Connolly. The book, published in 2016, before the Epstein case was reopened more recently, has been, I think, largely overlooked as a detailed and precise source for information on this case. Because of Tim's reporting in Palm Beach, he is familiar with Epstein's former home, and the surrounding area. It's on a street, El Brillo, uh, between the ocean and the intercoastal waterway in what's called Billionaire's Row, where all the huge $50, $60 million mansions are. His house was kind of, it'll be a teardown when somebody buys the property. It's probably a $10 million house, but it wasn't attractive. It was really secluded. It was at the end of a street, and it backed up onto the intercoastal waterway, high hedges. So I don't know if that was his intention, but It was about as private as you can get because you got water on one side and a wide street and high hedges. Detective Joe Riccieri leads the team in the search warrant. The premises desired to be searched is a two story single family residence made of CBS. As noted in Tim's book, Filthy Rich, the police team, quote, can't shake the feeling that the Epstein house has been tidied up for their arrival. Shelves look as though they've been emptied, and several photographs appear to have been removed from the walls. Chief Ryder would later say that it seemed clear Epstein knew they would be coming. What is surprising is that for a house that's been scrubbed, there's so much left lying around, he said. In fact, the oddest thing about the search is that someone appears to have gone through the house, gotten rid of incriminating materials, but they left many clues behind. Inside Epstein's house, Detective Rickeri's fellow officers find two cameras secretly placed inside two separate clocks. There are photos of girls, both up on the walls and on Epstein's computer. Soaps in the bathroom shaped like penises and vaginas. There are receipts for books, such as a workbook for erotic slaves and their owners. There is even a high school girl's transcript, a girl the police have already been speaking with. Even more damning, there are messages indicating the names and numbers of girls Epstein was paying and trapping to quote-unquote massage him. It was as if Epstein didn't think leaving such evidence behind meant much, even those numbers and messages indicating girls he was in contact with. And that's the thing about Epstein, and this part is crucial. He really didn't seem to believe he was doing anything wrong. Years later, Epstein told the New York Post, I'm not a sexual predator. I'm an offender. It's the difference between a murderer and a person who steals a bagel. The New York Times journalist James B. Stewart met Epstein in August 2018 and noted, He said that criminalizing sex with teenage girls was a cultural aberration and that at times in history it was perfectly acceptable. He pointed out that homosexuality had long been considered a crime and was still punishable by death in some parts of the world. It's a new year, 2006. The police are still investigating. Meanwhile, Epstein meets a girl who we'll call Priscilla Doe. Epstein meets her through another young woman who has already fallen prey to his sex trafficking scheme. Like many of Epstein's victims, she is economically very poor. Priscilla wants to get some extra money to help her mother, specifically for rent and groceries. Epstein brings Priscilla to his private island, which he calls Little St. Jeff's, located in the U.S. Virgin Islands. It's 78 acres, with a villa-style compound, cabanas, a library, a cinema, and a peculiar blue-striped temple. Once on the island, you are stranded. Epstein flies underage girls to the nearest small airport and then ferries them over on a private boat which he calls Lady Ghislaine. This boat, Lady Ghislaine, is named after one of Jeffrey Epstein's co-conspirators, Ghislaine Maxwell. Ghislaine Maxwell has been Epstein's longtime friend and also one of his accomplices. They originally had romantic ties, but as the years went on, it's been alleged by accusers She was more of a procurer or a madam. Maxwell has a degree from Oxford. She speaks four languages. She knows how to operate underwater robots. She's given a TED Talk on Ocean Conservancy and also happens to be a trained private helicopter pilot. Ghislaine Maxwell and her family history has received a lot of attention in recent months. And while I touch on rumors, in her case, there are so many it's hard to keep up. I can speak to a complaint recently filed in court by a Priscilla Doe. Priscilla says that at Epstein's Island, Ghislaine Maxwell instructs Priscilla the precise ways to pleasure Epstein. She says the instruction by Ghislaine Maxwell included training on the areas of the penis that are the most sensitive for targeted stimulation. This includes proper pressure to apply, the location in which pressure should be applied, and the location of the various nerve endings that should be stimulated. Priscilla is also religious and a virgin. She wants to wait to have sex until she is married. Epstein becomes aware of this. He says he won't have sex with her. But a legal document would later say that, despite the fact that he had assured Priscilla he would not try to have sexual intercourse with her, Jeffrey Epstein forced himself on Priscilla and took her virginity against her will and wishes. Ghislaine and Epstein also confiscate Priscilla's passport. Priscilla now can't leave. She is trapped alone on an island. Quote, felt forced into engaging in these sexual acts against her will. If there's anything to know about Maxwell, it's that she was a willing participant. In a worldwide sex slavery scheme. While Epstein continues to spend time with girls, Detective Rickari is busy. He continues interviewing more and more people. He's asking lots of questions. He never took off your clothes. No,
1: he tried, but I found her.
0: Who else was underage? Out of all these. Underage, what do you mean? Like, like under
1: eighteen. Under eighteen.
0: All of them. All of them. All of them. Girls and young women are asking him questions, too. What he did to you was a crime. I'm not going to lie to you. Would you, consider right? rape?
1: Like, would you consider that to be rape, what he did?
0: When he put that, To put himself inside you without permission, that, just
1: put that, you down.
0: that is a crime. He speaks with teenagers who are afraid of telling their parents. Do
1: I don't want my family to find out about this. My family doesn't know any of this. My mom thinks I was his secretary for two years.
0: Every time he speaks with one girl or young woman, he then hears about another.
1: Those are all the girls that I brought, but the, remember, those girls brought other girls, too. So okay. it's, like a, it's like a train. It goes on and on like that.
0: The incidents pile up. Before we even got out of the car, she said, don't say anything, don't speak unless you're spoken to. Like well, if you, it
1: would, you said you, there was the one of you me. naked. That was, and you were 16.
0: Yeah, like... I've spoken with, you know... 30, 35 other girls.
1: No way. Wow. Oh, I got
0: a condo. Uh-huh. Wow. Calls are wiretapped.
1: All right, well, um, I don't know. Jeffrey needs someone to work. I don't know if you want to work or not. Yeah. Okay, but I mean, it's... it's well, he needs someone tomorrow. Okay. okay.
0: He also warns girls that Epstein's private investigators might try to intimidate them.
1: Oh, I know he has
0: private investigators out there talking to people and... You know, trying to find out, you know, people who I'm talking to. He tries to tell victims that they've done nothing wrong. no, 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 no. I'm telling you, you are not a suspect this in any way, shape, or form.
1: My main concern, obviously, is the girls that come over to work for him.
0: March 2006. While the police are finding more girls who are enslaved by Epstein, he is busy holding a conference on his island, which he calls confronting gravity. 20 top physicists and Nobel Prize winners attend, including Stephen Hawking. To impress Hawking, Epstein pays for a submarine, which is adjusted so that Hawking's wheelchair can maneuver inside. It was the first time Hawking ever had the experience of seeing the ocean under the waves. Epstein is busy carrying on with life as usual, as if he's done nothing wrong. May 2006. According to police files at this point, investigators have interviewed five victims and 17 witnesses. They've identified 47 girls who'd been molested by Epstein. They've done surveillance and had telephone records and flight records that match with the victim's stories. The police force want to charge Jeffrey Epstein with one count of lewd and lascivious behavior and four counts of unlawful sexual activity with a minor. If convicted, Epstein will spend years behind bars. Some of those who helped Epstein recruit girls, co-conspirators like Ghislaine Maxwell, will also be charged. But Detective Joseph Ricari and Chief of Police Michael Ryder are about to find out they are in for the surprise of their lives. They thought they were up against a vast network of Epstein's friends, lawyers, and private investigators. But as it turns out, they are also up against their own government. That's next time on What Really Happened. Next time on What Really Happened, a government conspiracy. Who was a part of it? And what did the police do to combat the people they thought were on their own team? Plus, Epstein dies, and conspiracy theories run wild. What is true and what is not? That and much more next time on What Really Happened. If you like the podcast, I'd humbly ask you to subscribe, rate, and review. It actually can make a big difference. For any other feedback, you can reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram, Facebook, at Andrew Jenks, or go to JenksPod.com for more information on the sources for this podcast.